We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Twenty minutes a day. Three hundred and sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack-A-Day Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into an all-new episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. I am your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You know my guest. He's the one and only Paul Brettel. You can find him over on the Packers Wire as well as on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. Paul, always great to be chatting with you. How the heck are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Andy. Happy that we can be together here to talk about a Packers victory because honestly, and not to be that guy, but looking ahead at the schedule, I don't know when the next one's going to come for certain. So at least we get something positive to talk about here for the most part. Yeah, we have to stay positive today. Justice and I yesterday, I think, went into a little bit of the like, all right, well, like looking ahead and and you very quickly get to the man, if they don't beat Pittsburgh and then you've got the Chargers and the Chiefs and the Lions, like you could be looking at one win in nine games really fast. And that doesn't sound super fun. So we are just going to pause it right there. Right, We're going to stay in the land of positivity and we are going to enjoy this victory that, you know, Green Bay did get against a Rams team that, oh, by the way, uh, Brett Rippon, no longer an LA Ram. He was yes. released. So when Justice yesterday said that he's not an NFL quarterback, well, as of today, he is literally not an NFL quarterback. But we digress. You had a lot of fun stuff that you went over from this game uh, over on Packers Wire, and I wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit more on all of it. I think the first thing that I really wanted to dive into today was the Packers run offense, because it did feel like this Packers run offense unlocked a little bit of something with this offense. It was the one thing that I really took away as something that I think can remain sustainable that that happened in this game that we maybe hadn't seen previously simply because of all the Rams deficiencies their defensive front is pretty Mm -hmm. good including obviously one of the greatest of all time if not the greatest of all time in Aaron Donald in the middle of that defense what did you take away from this Packers running offense it's amazing what a run game can do for an offense and the thing is like to truly feel the ripple effects of what the run game can do for everyone it 
Sunday's game was proof. It doesn't have to be these eight yard chunk plays, 10 yard chunk plays. Like obviously that helps, but Jones averaged 3.7 yards per rush. Dylan averaged 4.4. Like it wasn't this overpowering run game by any means, but it, they were picking up positive plays on first down, on second down, that put them in second and six, third and two, instead of, you know, like we saw so often in that Minnesota game, second and 12, third and 15s. And from there, it just, you know, Matt LaFleur said after the Minnesota game that they just, you know, particularly being behind the sticks as often as they've been, they don't always get into their game plan, everything that they worked on throughout the week, but they had that opportunity to do that. It opens up the passing game for Jordan Love. You know, I asked him that after the game, and that was one of the first things that he mentioned, just the downfield opportunities, which we saw him take advantage of as Zach Tom in the locker room. Again, just to get his perspective from the offensive tackle position when the run game's rolling, and he said it takes away the a bit of the bite that the pass rush has because they have to defend both the run and pass now. And then also as the game wears on, you know, you can tell that you're wearing down that defensive front a little bit as well. So, you know, as you're building momentum, they're tiring out a little bit. It did absolute wonders for for this Packers offense. Like I said, opened up the passing game, set up play action opportunities. It's not a coincidence that Jordan Love had such an efficient performance when the run game was working as well as as well as it was as well as it has been in quite frankly a long time for this this Packers team this season and there's definitely the Aaron Jones effect to that you know just him being on the field like the defense automatically has to respect that run game way way more than what they did when it was A.J. Dillon and Patrick Taylor. However, I want to give credit to the offensive line as well because there were definitely weeks where even if Jones was at full capacity, where he isn't finding the success that he did uh, against the against the Rams. The offensive line was improved in that regard. And again, it just did so much, opened up so many things for this offense. Got Matt LaFleur, you know, like you said, into the game plan as the play caller opened up the passing game opportunities. And really, for me, that's where the success that we saw from the Packers offense really began with that element. Yeah, really well said. And I think a couple of things that I want to go over here. First of all, to me, so many times the NFL is a game of who can make the other team predictable faster. Mm-hmm. And Green Bay didn't really have to, and certainly Green Bay fans didn't have to think in that regards for so long because they could pass for 30 years and it didn't really matter if they were predictable or not because they had Hall of Fame quarterback play <laughs> for 30 years. But so often, if, if your offense has the entire menu open and everything at your disposal and the opposing defensive coordinator has to try to stop all of it, it, it makes it so much more difficult. And the best of the best defenses can still do that. But even then, it's a much bigger challenge than if they know you're going to pass or if you, they know you're going to run. And the fact that I feel like really weeks two through you know eight, um, it, it felt like Green Bay got into so many situations where they were down uh, a lot of times by multiple scores and they became one dimensional. They had to throw the ball to kind of get back in the game. And it just makes everything so much easier for the opposing defensive coordinator. And meanwhile, um, Green Bay's defense was operating in the exact opposite situation where they had to defend against everything and never were able to really get teams in obvious passing situations where they can tee off and open up their entire defense. This was one of the first games that we saw where Green Bay was able to, and it wasn't like it was early, it was you know a one-score game at halftime and really in, into late in the second half. Um, but then finally, once Green Bay got that, the entire game, Green Bay had everything on their menu open. And then finally, later in the game, it was the Rams that were the ones that had to kind of pass their way back in. And Green Bay's defense responded to it extremely well. 
we talk about complementary football all the time. That That's the start of it is can you make the opposing team predictable and can you make it so that your offense specifically remains unpredictable? Green Bay was able to do that in large part because they were able to sustain a running game really for, for the first time since, since week one against Chicago. And then that was the other thing I wanted to mention. You brought up the improved offensive line play. To me, I, I was just going through my grades today and just kind of seeing week by week, position by position. This is only the second time all year the offensive line graded in the positive. The first one, no surprise, was against Chicago in week one when they had a really positive grade with David Bakhtiari out there against a, a Bears front that was not very good on, on that specific day. No Montez Sweat on that front yet, but that was a really good day. They had Every game in between was a negative. In fact, their best performance was a negative one grade, you know, combined, which is still really bad um, in that in that period. And then they finally were above average this week. And and really the vast majority of the players on that offensive line graded in the positive. To me, that opened up everything. It opened up the running game, which, again, made it unpredictable for the defense. And we saw Brett Ribbon let or not. It was uh, at least a, a hint of a recipe for success moving forward. Yeah, I think that's honestly the most encouraging part about this, because obviously over the last four or five games, there was questions into whether the not the offense, but the passing game specifically was salvageable, just given how bad it had gone for such a long period of time. But I think the positive for everyone to take away from this is that, yeah, it is. And we saw that progress. And Matt LaFleur was the first to say there was improvements made, but there's still a lot of room for growth. And that's absolutely the case. I know it was due to some poor penalties but they had two drive stall out around midfield they were still one for four in the red zone like this was a game that if this offense was truly firing on all cylinders looked like that week one version like they would eclipse 30 points easily in this game and so i think the 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 running game aspect showing how just those two the run game and the passing game steal matt lafleur's words they're married together how they build off of each other and just the the burden that takes off of the passing game because as we know this passing game and we saw it in the game too like the margin for error for this team especially through the air is so so small like things have to go right for this group and the run game takes some of that playmaking burden off of love off of the receivers uh takes away the defense instead of the defense doing the dictating the Packers were the ones on the offensive side of the ball doing the dictating in control and so I think that's the biggest takeaway for me from this game is just the what can they do moving forward on first down because it really feels like if they can at least get that you know at a minimum three hopefully four or five yards like that can set them up to be successful but on the other hand if there's a penalty or it's a one yard gain incomplete pass like that second and nine, second and 10, it feels like almost doom at this point. Like it feels like we can almost predict what's going to happen on the drive just based on that first down play alone. Yeah. In, in previous weeks, we saw a lot of mistakes mixed with poor offensive line play and, and a poor running game. This week I saw a solid running game, at least the foundation there that could mm-hmm. be built upon. And um, uh, like, like I said, a, a hint at a recipe for success with all those mistakes still there and green Bay shot themselves in the foot more often than the, the two bizarro offensive offsides, whatever um, probably not going to happen ever again in anyone's lifetime that you see something like that happen. Hopefully knock on wood, but um, you still had the two fumbles by Wicks and Jones. You had some other penalties that set them back. You had a special teams penalty that sets them back and they're inside their own 10 yard line, just things like that. Those things are still potentially going to happen with this team just because they are inexperienced and it's going to take some time for them to kind of round into form. But 
the the other stuff that we saw was still a real positive step in the right direction. Like I said, hopefully something repeatable moving forward that they can continue to build off of. Speaking of which, you mentioned the margin for error on this passing offense in particular, and just the offense in particular, but specifically here, the the deep ball accuracy and and tr- you know trying to come down with some of those bigger plays, which has just been you know, not there at all for this Packers offense. We did see some improvement from Jordan Love in the passing game this week. Um, I know you had some numbers, but uh, what did you kind of see from from Jordan in the, the the deep ball passing this week? Yeah, so uh, entering the game, and numbers are from PFF, on passes of 10 to 19 yards, Love ranked 32nd out of 35 quarterbacks in completion percentage. Passes of 20-plus yards, he ranked 33rd. We know that that's been an issue for this team. But again, going back to his overall efficient performance, he was six of eight overall on passes that at least traveled 10 yards, two for three on passes that were 20 yards or more. And again, to bring it back to the offensive line, I think that's where a lot of that success started for him. He was pressured uh, on just seven of his 31 dropbacks. And for some context, context, uh, the previous four games, he was pressured on the fourth most dropbacks out of all quarterbacks in the NFL. That pressure rate of around 22%, I think that math comes out to. Like, that's really, really on the low end. Like, if you look at PFF's numbers, like, the low end is usually, if you're around 25%, you're doing really, really well. So the Packers were below that. So I say all that to say he had time. The re- and the receivers had additional time to get open as well. Something that Love mentioned after the Vikings game was that he didn't feel as decisive as he had been earlier in the season. And to a degree, who could blame him? I mean, your right. receivers are running the wrong routes or dropping passes. Offensive line, you're you're under pressure. You don't have a run game to lean on. Like, yeah, you're, you're – decision-making, your decisiveness, probably going to take a step back. So it was nice to see that with that protection around him, again, not that there aren't areas to improve upon, but overall he was much improved in that area. And guess what? So was his accuracy, as I already mentioned, with the the 6 of 8, 118 yards on those passes. So uh, obviously a really, really encouraging performance from him in that regard. And again, it started with the, the offensive line play. Uh, he missed that deep ball to Christian Watson that we all saw in – Matt LaFleur on Monday went back to, you know, he's been doing better at getting more air under it. And obviously that's a massive emphasis for him right now. We've heard them talk about that over the summer, but leading the receiver while still getting that air under it is uh, a formula that he hasn't found the answer to yet. And Matt LaFleur's answer was he just got to let it rip, you know, kind of keeps kind of going back to that throughout Love's tenure with the Packers and just stop thinking so much and just let it go. But Uh, It was one throw overall, like I said, a really efficient performance from Love and from a process standpoint, which is obviously the most important aspect of it. Decision-making was improved. Decisiveness was improved. Accuracy was improved. And again, I think it all really started up front because early on in the season, as we know, the the offensive line protection was pretty good for Jordan Love. And then all of a sudden he goes from the Saints game on Monday – to the Lions game on Thursday where he's running for his life. Like for a young quarterback, that internal clock of how much time he has is all of a sudden just flipped. Like the pendulum just swung in the other direction. I can only imagine, again, going back to the decisiveness aspect, some of the the chaos that that provided for him. Uh, So I think this helped provide some, or I know this helped provide some stability for him, just having that additional time. And again, like I alluded to earlier, from the receiver's perspective, when the quarterback has that additional time, that's an extra, you know, half a second, second, whatever it is. That's a lifetime in the NFL for them to get open, for them to create separation. And, you know, we saw them making those uh, 
contested catches, making those deep ball grabs. So uh, again, overall, really encouraging aspect from this offense. Yeah, so glad you brought up the offensive line again. It's so funny to me because everyone's like, yeah, you know, Jordan seemed much more accurate this week. And, you know, the running game was going much better this week. And I saw a lot of like, man, we we finally saw Matt LaFleur as a play caller kind of open things up. It's like, yeah, in the previous six weeks, you know, when your offensive line can't pass block and they can't run block, good luck calling plays in in Mm -hmm. those situations. And adding to that, the screen game being completely anemic and not being able to do anything there. Again, I've said this on numerous occasions, but you look down on your play sheet, there's not much that's too enticing when you can't pass block, run block, or screen. Like, what else are you going to call? So, yeah, this week, the the run blocking, way better. The pass blocking, way better. And, oh, my goodness, Jordan Love looks better. The deep ball accuracy gets better. The run game looks better. Matt LaFleur looks like a much better play caller all of a sudden. It's like, yeah, all of a sudden you block up front. It's amazing how it's just when when you talk about a force multiplier and how it can make things better for just about everyone, you get good protection, good blocking up front. It just, it, it makes everyone's day so much easier. And we saw what that can mean for Green Bay. Now, again, they still had the mistakes and some drops and some missed throws and some penalties mm-hmm. and all of it, two turnovers, that stuff still needs to get cleaned up, but you can see proof of concept a little bit more when you uh, have that blocking up front, which they did in this game. I, I do wonder, and just speculation on my end, the, the continuity aspect of it. I think that's a, we know that's an important part, but I think it's sometimes a, a forgotten about part when it comes to offensive line play. And, you know, for the most part, we've known who the Packers five guys are. I mean, Bakhtiari has been out since week one, but practice wise, like they, I don't think those guys have had nearly as much time together. You know, Runyon had the ankle injury and then missed a day or two and was limited. Uh, Jenkins obviously missed a few games and then has been limited since. Like, I just wonder if from that aspect of it, that continuity component, they're just starting to gel a little bit better. As again, I, I asked Zach Tom about the run game specifically. And then I said, what was different about this week compared to the previous ones and in his response it was just that they were on the same page more often they were playing together better than what they had been and there wasn't that you know egregious error that we seemingly saw from a different player you know every play occurring throughout the course of the game so i do wonder if and again it's been (laughs) we're halfway through the season at this point you want to be there sooner but product of injuries um you know some movement that is still taking place at the left tackle position but i do wonder if just that aspect of it and guys getting more healthy zach tom elton jenkins if that was a factor in what we saw in sunday's performance friends welcome to busy season there's school sports holidays thanksgivings friendsgivings birthdays anniversaries meetings meetings about meetings you get the picture. Obviously for me, football season is the single busiest time of the year. And with it being busy and with the holidays coming up, we all maybe have a little bit of a tendency to maybe overindulge a bit. And it's really hard to stick with that nutrition plan with all the craziness going on. Well, that's where Factor comes in. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal service and can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all your holiday to-dos. Looking for calorie-conscious options over the holidays that also taste great? 
Try delicious, dietitian approved calorie-smart meals with around or less than 550 calories per serving. Need an extra boost to support your wellness goals and feel your best during the holidays? Try Protein Plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. Whatever your need is, these meals are really, really good, and I know you're going to enjoy them. So right now, head to factormeals.com slash packaday50 and use code packaday50 to get 50% off. That's code packaday50 at factormeals.com slash packaday50 to get 50% off. So many of you probably know that Damian Lillard was just traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. And as soon as I found out, I had to get opening day tickets immediately. And I will be there at that game because I use game time and even got to use code pack a day for $20 off, which made it even more sweet. The process was so insanely simple. They have these flash deals and you can click on the different areas of the stadium to see which prices are available. You can see the actual view of the seats. It was hassle-free and just super, super simple. Game time is the place for last minute ticket deals as well. You can forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and so much more. The game time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without all the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making Prize Picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. I know I'm not breaking any news here to anyone, but it's so, it is so easy to forget immediately because you just kind of put the entire situation out of mind as most, as, as best as possible, especially because the situation's been so frustrating, but and the David Bakhtiari injury, just going, I mean, and going back obviously to 2020, 21, 22, and now even still in 2023, it just affects everything so much. And you saw how different that offensive line looked in week one. I mean, I'll, I'll just say, I, I don't think Green Bay sitting here at, at two and five or what, three and five, I'm already confusing, three and five um, with David Bakhtiari in the starting lineup every week. I think a couple of those close games easily swing in Green Bay's favor. And it's easy to see like the Aaron Jones, especially when he's like still like practicing, not practicing and kind of in and out. And everyone wants to immediately comment of like, oh, if they just had Aaron Jones, which is true. We've seen the impact that he has, but 
man, again, the, the offensive line as an, as a whole, when they're consistent and we, and when they are on, uh, like we saw them this past week, everything goes smoother and everything goes smoother. When you have your top offensive lineman out there, they haven't had Bakhtiari and we can all argue of to what, as to whether or not they should have maybe put as much hope into trust and everything into maybe him still being the left tackle at this point. I get it, but man, that injury just stings every single time because he would be such a calming and huge influence along the line. And I think along this offense where you still have many, many veterans and many players that are capable of playing at an all pro level at this point, he is one of them still and at injury just beyond sucks all over again. Mm-hmm. Right, let's talk a little bit about Luke Musgrave. I know you uh, talked about him a little bit as well, but um, I think we saw some some improvement from Luke Musgrave and maybe not even just improvement, but we saw him get a little bit more involved in the offense. We obviously all know the touchdown pass. Yeah, the big um, kind of deep crosser down the field too. It just, it felt, it felt more intentional getting him involved, but it also felt organic within the flow of the offense. And this is something I've kind of been waiting for, especially how we saw him utilized in training camp. Um, it's it, like I said, it felt really good this week, but what did you see out of Musgrave? Yeah, exactly what you said, because that's where he's going to bring the the biggest advantage to this offense. And it's not as if he hasn't been utilized up to this point coming into this game. He was third in targets on the Packers, but he ranked 30th out of, I think it's like 44 tight ends in the NFL in yards per catch before this game. He ranked uh 32nd in average depth of target. Like there was that stretch, the Raiders game, the the Broncos game, where we saw him just getting a lot of passes into the flat. And yeah, he's big, he's athletic, he has the ability to make plays from there. But if you're truly trying to maximize what Luke Musgrave can do for your offense, it's what we saw against the Rams. Like Tucker Craft's skill set is honestly more of a, and what he provides is more of a fit for how Luke Musgrave was being utilized in those passes in, in the flat. But I think the the reason why we're seeing that, and I'm sure I've talked about it on here before, but the Packers' inability to push the ball downfield, you know, that's condensed things for them. And what when things are being when the defense is shrinking the field, condensing things, what part of it's taken away most often? The middle. And again, that's where you want Luke Musgrave to be targeted. So I feel like those shorter plays were ways to make sure that he's involved, trying to get him those opportunities to make some plays. But again, that's not maximizing his skill set. So it was great to see him utilized in that capacity, uh, find, finding some opportunities for him. The fact that him and Love were able to connect on that crosser, because we've seen that be very hit and miss, whether it's yeah. uh, Love missing him or Luke Musgrave not being in the right spot. Those two just seemingly haven't been able to connect on, on that specific play as often as we'd like this season, but Musgrave when utilized in that capacity can just unlock so much for this offense. Like at the tight end position, he can have kind of a a Christian Watson, like gravity at the tight end where the defense is, you know, uh, responding to him, attracted to him and what he's doing. And that's going to help open up opportunities for others. And he made some really good blocks in this game too. That Aaron Jones touchdown run, uh, he helped seal the running lane. Uh, Matt LaFleur talked about on the touchdown that he ended up catching. He did a really, really good job of selling that he was blocking. And we know the big play ability that he has, but if he can continue to improve and refine that aspect of it, the blocking ability, it's going to add a new layer of unpredictability to this Packers offense because we can look back at their tight end room last year and, you know, Mercedes Lewis, did he catch some passes? Yeah. Robert Tunyon, was he asked to block? Yeah. 
but you you knew as a def, as a defense kind of what these guys' primary jobs were. So if you can have a Luke Musgrave who can impact the passing game, who can impact the run game as a blocker. Same thing with Tucker Craft as well. Again, there's an added level of unpredictability that this Packers offense now has because pre-snap, you know, if he's lined up in line, you can't necessarily key in on what he's going to be asked to do. And again, adds that unpredictability layer to it. So. Uh, it was great to see him get going in that regard with those downfield passes because, again, the unpredictability, the the attention that he draws that can open up opportunities for others, those are all added layers to what Luke Musgrave can add to this offense beyond just you know the chunk play ability that he brings. I'm glad you kind of brought up the gravity of Musgrave and then you brought up Christian Watson as well. Um, one of the things that I thought was a little bit under notice this week is there were a handful of plays where Christian Watson was – I don't even know if he was necessarily being used as a decoy, but he did, you know, have defenders gravitate towards him that opened some stuff up underneath. Um, He still has an impact when he's on the field as well. And now I think if you can all of a sudden start again, kind of marrying some of these concepts and if you can make, whether it's through crossing routes or whatever, if you've got two players on the field that have that gravity and then you have to worry about Aaron Jones in the backfield, I still don't think we've seen that fully come together yet. We saw a little bit more of it this week at times, but I still think there's so much to be unlocked with the potential of this offense with Watson and Musgrave and Jones and some of those guys. And then hope, hopefully while all those three guys are grabbing attention, now you've got guys like Dontavian Wicks and Romeo Dobbs and Jaden Reed and Tucker Craft and whoever else living underneath that and being able to find space and find real estate and make some big plays underneath that. It just takes a little bit for these guys to get on the same page, the rhythm, the timing, I think we saw a step in the right direction with Musgrave and hopefully that continues to move forward. Another one of those players I wanted to talk about though, I just mentioned is Dontavian Wicks. And I know everyone's going to look at really the two things that stood out the past two weeks, the drop play uh, where he has the opportunity right around the goal line, drops the slant route. And then this week, of course, catches the ball, extends for a first down, fumbles the ball away, unfortunate pop up right into the defender's hands. Those are going to be the two memorable plays, but he continues to get open at a pretty significant clip. And he's just, he's a really fun receiver to watch. And I don't, I don't think we should lose track of the positives that he's bringing to the team either. No, absolutely not. The one that specific to pass catchers I really like from PFF is yards per route run. It's an efficiency metric. And I think he had 49 yards on 15 routes. So that's 3.27 yards per route run. And for some context, if that figure just to show the impact that that he had, that that figure has over the course of the season, that would be the second highest mark in the NFL behind only Tyreek Hill. Again, just to provide some context in terms of how good he was as a route runner on Sunday against the Rams. And I know we've talked about it on here before his ability to win at the line of scrimmage with his release package his his ability to create separation as a route runner. Like he can be utilized in such a wide variety of ways for this Packers offense because he can win in such a wide variety of ways. It feels like, you know, Jaden Reed, Christian Watson, they're still in particular, you know, they're still, they have their specific routes where they know that they can win, but then Tavian Wicks gives you what feels like just a wider variety and he needs to be involved more. He needs to continue to get those opportunities. Obviously we came into the season where Christian Watson is thought of as wide receiver one, and he still needs to, you know, be that guy for this team, Romeo Dobbs wide receiver two, but they're still second year players like that. That is not cemented in by, by any means. And if someone 
especially in a passing game that struggled to find consistency is bringing that consistency to you, making life a little bit easier for Jordan Love again, because he can win in multiple parts of the field, create, uh, create separation, easier throws for Jordan Love. Then that player absolutely needs to be involved more. Not saying he needs to be out snapping Watson or Dobbs by, by any means, but Again, more opportunities to get the ball in his hands because he's shown, and it wasn't just against the Rams. He's shown throughout this season um, that he has the ability to be a difference maker in the offense. I've said for a while now, I'm I'm so much more of a believer, especially over the last 10 years or so, and maybe just especially after watching Devontae Adams for so long. I do believe that wide receiver has become much more of an artistry position. And we see some of the absolute best wide receivers who are just artists as route runners and know how to find space, get open, attack defensive backs. And it feels more like almost less of a skill and more of an, there's like an art to it. There's a rhythm to it. There's a um, improvisation to it almost. And I look at Devonte Adams. I look at uh, Justin Jefferson. I look at Stefan Diggs, uh, even Jordan Addison and what he's doing at it. Like those guys, not the biggest RAS score guys, not the, mm-hmm. you know, six, four, two twenty, jump out of the roof. Sorry guys. There's plenty of room in the NFL for those sort of players as well. But the, the guys that are getting open, Terry McLaurin, another one super fast, but his artistry as a receiver is what sets him apart and is able to get him open. Those are the receivers that I think are, just special, find ways to get open, make the job easier for the quarterback because you're not having to throw contested catches. We're talking all this time about, man, Green Bay sucks at contested catch. How about a re- receiver just gets open? Like mm-hmm. I, I would I would much rather a wide receiver just chilling in space and, and open than having to you know even try to complete contested catch situations. And Dontavian Wicks to me is the one where he's shown the ability to find space, have a little bit more of that artistry to his game and just get open. And that to me is so exciting. Um, I know people are probably sick of Justice and I having our weekly Dontavian Wicks fan club appreciation um, episode once a week, but uh, I, I still need more Dontavian in my life. Now he needs to, he needs to go out and, and limit the mistakes um, as well when he gets the opportunities because the NFL is an opportunity game. When you do get those opportunities, you have to make the most of them and, and dropping a near touchdown and, and fumbling a ball away on the first play of the second half, not not the great way to make those impressions. I, I loved Aaron Jones going up to him and raising oh, his, his helmet up. Just an all-time all, like all amazing Aaron Jones moment, which is not surprising to anyone. I still need more Dontavian Wicks, and I'm so excited about him. Yeah, I think uh... – because what was his 40 time? Like four, five, seven, four, five. I was, feel like it was just below four, six. You know, not Blazing Speed, not Jaden Reed, not Christian Watson by any means. Honestly, I think Luke Musgrave was in that neighborhood at the tight end position in terms of 40 time. But what's telling, you know, with, you know, not that elite, elite speed, but his uh, junior year uh, or or second to last year at Virginia, he was one of the top downfield pass catchers in college football. Again, not with blazing speed goes to show that his ability to win at the line of scrimmage, to create separation and to make, and just give his quarterback the opportunity to hit an open receiver. Yeah. The four, five, seven, 40, I think you hit it right on, but yeah, it's not going to blow anyone away. It's not your Tyree kill four, two forties or whatever the heck Mm -hmm. he ran, but um, he has enough with his overall game and how he runs routes and releases off the line of scrimmage that he finds ways to get open. And I think that's only going to continue to improve moving forward. Uh, Speaking of improvement, we talked about the other side, the offensive line and what they were able to do. I did mention this on the initial, um, you know, podcast after the game, but I think it's still worth digging into a little bit more the past two weeks. They faced four running backs. None of them are going to make the NFL Hall of Fame by any stretch of the imagination. Royce Freeman, Daryl Henderson, uh, Alexander Madison, and Cam Akers. 
Royce Freeman, 12 carries, 32 yards, 2.7 yard average. Daryl Henderson, 10 carries, 19 yards, 1.9 yard average. Madison, 16 for 31 and a 1.9 average. And Akers, 9 for 19 and a 2.1 yard average. Total carries by running backs over that time, 47 carries, 101 yards, 2.15 average. And we can talk about the, it's Royce Freeman, Alexander Madison, whatever. This is a team that for a while, uh, I think got some running backs, some big time contracts just because of what they did against the Green Bay Packers, um, whether they were good or not. And the fact that this this run defense has been much more stout over the past two weeks. This is a run defense that allowed 5.0 yards per carry against the run last year. At one point this year, they were at 4.5 yards per carry. Spoiler alert, in those last season and a half, they faced some bad running backs during that time too and gave up huge yards per attempt. These past two weeks, much, much better, much more stout at the point of attack. TJ Flat continues to be Kenny Clark up until the injury, at least. Um, you know, and just it, it seemed like a much more cohesive 11 guys playing team defense rather than just 11 individuals running around the field. I think that sums it up perfectly right there. And also, I just want to say the Joe Barry defense is stopping the run. They're getting quarterbacks cut. They're just rolling right now. Yeah, but, exactly. <laughs> but but I digress. I think you hit the nail on the head there perfectly because I, I think back to a conversation with Jerry Montgomery, the uh, defensive line coach over the summer and talking about the run defense. And he just kept going back to, I know all eyes are on the defensive front, but it's all 11 guys that have to help. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. TJ Slayton, we've seen the flashes, but the consistency has been there for him. Uh, Sunday's game against the Rams in particular, the edge rushers against the run, uh, that really stood out to me. I thought that they were really stout uh, on the edge, not letting the ball carrier get outside, funneling them back in. I feel like Lucas Van Ness is really making strides. Uh, as a run defender. And I talked to Isaiah McDuffie uh, on Monday and because he had a really nice performance as well. Matt LaFleur gave him a couple shout outs after the game that were unprompted. And yep. McDuffie was quick to deflect the the praise off of him and onto the defensive front saying they're doing their jobs. They're uh, keeping me clean, allowing me to get to fill the holes, get to the outside when needed. And Matt LaFleur also gave some credit to the safeties in the run game as well. So it's everyone right now. And just like we talk about on the offensive side of the ball, the ability to get the run game going, how that can help the passing game. It's the same thing on the defensive side. When the defensive front is able to slow the the opponent's running game, everybody benefits. It puts the offense in those predictable passing situations like we've seen the Packers in too often. Uh, Pass rush, the strength of this unit can pin its ears back. The defense can get into more favorable matchups. The secondary can be more aggressive. Everybody benefits. And we've seen that happen the last two weeks. Now against Minnesota, they didn't get off the field on third down. But I believe the Vikings were in third and eight, 12 times in that game. Like you're doing your job on first and second down if that's the case, especially when I think they only had 18 third down opportunities the entire game. Uh, Against the Rams, the Packers held them to five of 16 on third and fourth down opportunities. Like that's the name of the game. If you can stop the run on the early down, put them in a predictable passing situation. Again, that pass rush is the strength of this Packers Packers defensive unit. Give them the opportunity to get after the quarterback. And a lot of times, especially when you got a guy like Rashawn Gary, good things are going to happen. Yeah, I thought the corners were a bit more aggressive this week. I thought Jair Alexander had one of his better days in run defense. Edge players were better, as you mentioned. McDuffie may have had the best game of his career uh, so far. And then shout out to Jonathan Owens, too. You mentioned the safeties, but I thought Owens did a really nice job in coming up and filling in the run game. That didn't get um, a ton of credit this week, but I thought he had a really nice game filling in as well. A couple quick ones before we get you out of here. 
no Kenny Clark. If, if there is no Kenny Clark, we don't know that for certain at this point, but if there is no Kenny Clark this week, uh, thoughts on how they kind of replace him and, and kind of rotate in those defensive linemen. Oof, that's a good question. I mean, coming into the season, that was one of my, you know, outside of like safety and just the youth on offense, the the interior defensive line, specifically against the run, because those are a lot of pass rushers in there. You got Kenny Clark, who can obviously do both. DJ Slayton's more of the run stuffer. But after that, in terms of run defenders, you got a lot of question marks. I mean, Devontae Wyatt made some noise as a pass rusher, hasn't stood out and as a run defender. Colby Wooden, same in that regard. Carl Brooks, I think, has flashed more as a run defender. Uh, honestly, they're probably going to have to call up Jonathan Ford. At least fits more from a a, a skill set, a body build standpoint. You know, more that uh, nose tackle run stuffer yeah. uh, that they would need to help replace Kenny Clark if he's unable to go, or even if he's on a snap count. I don't know how much more you can ask of TJ Slayton from a snap count standpoint. So for me, if they're without Clark or if he's going to be on a on a pitch count. You know, it's going to be a combination of Jonathan Ford and of the other guys that I mentioned, Brooks, Wood, and Wyatt. Honestly, I think Brooks has been the best of that bunch on those uh, against the run. Um, so I guess it'd be some combination on those early downs of Slayton, Ford, and Brooks if I were to make that guess right now. Yeah, I think they need to bring up Ford as well and then basically just have him eat as many of the Kenny Clark rundowns as he possibly can. I've said for a while, just weaponize that guy as a run defender. Like I wouldn't spend one iota of any time spent like helping Jonathan Ford become a pass rusher. Like every ounce of my uh, being would be like, just, just make him a really good run defender. If you can do that and you can get 15 good run snaps out of that guy every game, like I am, I'd be more than, than pleased and more than happy. And I'm hoping that maybe he can eat some of those run snaps on passing downs. I, I think Wyatt Brooks wooden, um, all those guys, even Slayton can fill in just fine. And I don't have any major concern there, but I do think it's the run defense. I don't know if they want to go with, you know, Ford and Slayton on early downs or what they would potentially do in that situation. Uh, but I think Wyatt's going to have to have one of his best games as a run defender and really step up in that regard. Something he, uh, he's taken a step as a pass rusher, as you mentioned, but as a run defender, there's still been far too many inconsistencies there. Um, our last one, before we get you out of here, there were plenty of young players that stood out this past week. Maybe it was a flash play like Carl Brooks or Colby Wooden. Maybe it was the touchdown with Musgrave. Maybe it was the all-out play by Carrington Valentine throughout the game. What, what was the one that really got you most excited as you watched some of these younger players this past week? Honestly, it was a combination of Valentine and Johnson, and it wasn't a specific play. It was just the juice they brought. You know, they're they're pros, the the team, obviously. They're 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 pros, it's a business, but being in the locker room on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, after that Razul Douglas trade, like the the juice was zapped, especially out of that that cornerback room. And I get it, that's right after it happened. There's a shock of it, there's the rawness of it. And not that I didn't think that they would go out there and do their jobs, but you wonder from an energy standpoint coming off of that, or at least I did, you know, what is, what are, what are we going to see from that unit overall? And it was from the time the defense was announced on the field throughout the entire 60 minutes. It wasn't, you know, 15 minutes in, Oh, things are going well. And the energy came like they brought it from start to finish. And I think having that youth of Anthony Johnson and Carrington Valentine and just the excitement that they had, I mean, Anthony Johnson said after the game that he was, he was in tears a little bit hearing his name announced and coming out of the tunnel. And they just absolutely brought the energy. You got Carrington Valentine uh, doing the Dikembe Mutombo to Puka Nakua uh, and in the locker room afterwards, he was just telling everyone I'm here. Like, 
that energy, that juice. Carrington Valentine, from a swagger standpoint, like he he looked like Jair Alexander out there, just in terms of the energy and everything he brought. And that stuff that's palpable. And I think that just radiates throughout the defense, radiates throughout the sidelines. And for a team that you know just traded away one of its leaders is on a four game losing streak, like. If they lose that game to the Rams, like everything could truly, truly spiral out of control. Having those young guys there to bring that energy uh, from start to finish and then to back it up too with the level of play, especially that Carrington Valentine hand, that was my biggest takeaway. Because again, it, they're professionals, it's a business, they know this is a part of it, but you never truly know that human element of it. Like, what's the residual effect of that, you know, carrying over just a few days later when you got to be on the football field doing your job? But they went out there and they absolutely delivered. Yeah, they certainly did. And we're in lockstep. I have no 10 out of 10, no notes. I wholeheartedly agree <laughs> and uh, could not have said it any better. The energy that they brought was like, I told Aaron Nagler the other day, you, you felt it from the press box. Like you legitimately mm-hmm. could see the energy that they were playing with and, it was just so fun to watch. And I'm, I think it's something that can remain too. I don't think it's just going to be a one-off. I had, that was the one thing I asked Matt LaFleur after the game was like, was that just Arrington feeling himself in that game or like, like he was just feeling it or was, was that normal Carrington? He's like, no, that's just Carrington. I'm like, yeah, I like to, I like to hear that. That's, that, that's what Absolutely. I was, that's what I was hoping you were going to say. Uh, Paul, where can we find all of your amazing work, all the articles we talked about today and uh, find you on social media? Appreciate it, Andy. Uh, find all my work over at Packers Wire. You can follow me on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. Hit like, hit subscribe over on YouTube. Channel name is Paul Brettel. Yeah, go follow him on YouTube. He's absolutely awesome. You find me at Andy Herman NFL on social media, of course, right here on the Packaday podcast, 365 days a year. Make sure to subscribe or maybe even become a member if you have not already. I'll be right back here tomorrow with an all new episode. So make sure not to miss it. Again, go follow Paul. Follow me if you want, whatever. We'll see you guys next time. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.